Good morning, and welcome back to the Dallas Express video podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Subiata Bennett. We've had a lot of changes as of late in Dallas. Our Dallas City Council recently passed the largest budget in the history of the city. I'm interested to see the trajectory of crime with supposed earmarked funds going directly towards the reduction of it. Crime is a very complex issue that affects cities across the globe, and Dallas is absolutely no exception. The effects of crime on the quality of life in our city are far-reaching, impacting not only the victims, but the entire community. Crime can lead to a sense of fear and insecurity, eroding trust in the law, and even worse, damaging social cohesion. It can also have economic repercussions, discouraging businesses from investing, driving down property values, and intimidating people from choosing to live in the urban core. In today's episode, we'll examine the effects of crime on the quality of life in Dallas, exploring its impact on individuals, communities, and the city as a whole. Joining us as we deeply dive into this important topic and explore ways that we can work together to create a safer and more vibrant Dallas is our new and treasured CEO at the Dallas Express, Jeff Schnick. Jeff came from the Dallas Business Journal where he served as editor for nearly eight years. Prior to that, he was with the Dallas Morning News in a variety of roles, including as an assistant news editor and an assistant business editor. He also previously held roles at newspapers in Texas, Florida, and East Tennessee. Jeff has dedicated his life to the noble pursuit of journalism, always striving for truthful reporting. Alongside him in this mission is his gracious wife, Blanca Cantu, who shares the same passion and commitment with a deep-rooted belief in bettering our community and advancing towards genuine equity. Jeff stands as a beacon for positive change. Residing in the heart of Dallas, he bears witness to challenges that the city faces, especially with the growing crime rates. However, he remains optimistic. With open dialogue, innovative solutions, and collective efforts, he believes that Dallas can overcome these challenges and emerge even more resilient. Please help me welcome Jeff Schnick. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Of course, of course. And please, if you would, tell our viewers and listeners how you're settling in. It's been a wild couple of weeks, really exciting, uh, coming over from the Business Journal and Uh leading the entire uh, news organization instead of just the newsroom is a little bit different, but everybody's been great. Uh, The communities responded to it very favorably. A lot of my sources and uh, people that I know from my time at the Morning News and at the Business Journal uh, are already setting meetings with me. Um, And I'm really just enjoying the getting to know the team too. Uh, An excellent newsroom, a a dedicated business operations and support staff, and uh, certainly thanks uh, to you and Monty for the opportunity to make a difference in the community because that was the real draw coming over from the Business Journal. I never thought I would leave that position, but this was just something different, something special. Well, we're thrilled to have you. I said it to Monty and I mentioned it to you in our first meeting about how honored I am to be in this role. Um, Editors, CEOs of publications, they're caretaker positions. You know, you'll hold them for a brief amount of time, long period of time, it doesn't matter. And then you hand it off to someone else and you wanna leave 
the publication, the community in a better place. Uh, and that's how it works. And so that's why I'm really excited because the Dallas Express has a real chance to move the needle on issues that matter in Dallas. And uh, clearly we've proven that we're uh, not afraid of, uh, you know, speaking truth to power, which I think is something that, you know, is a little bit lost in media, uh, even in a competitive media landscape such as Dallas, where you do have a more vibrant, uh, you know, set of journalists uh, across the region than you do in, in some cities. And so for, for me, that's really exciting. If we could kind of use that to pivot slightly, you are a Dallasite. You live in Dallas proper. Yes. And something that I wanted to discuss is the impact of crime as it relates to the staffing levels at the Dallas Police Department. Time and time again, residents such as yourself, um, my kid's father, who lives right in the heart of Dallas as well, talk about all of the constituents. The community is calling for radical change on crime reduction. Is there just not political will to get this done? Are they not prioritizing the budget appropriately as it relates to staffing levels? What's going on? So I'm an East Dallasite, and so uh, I spend most of my time uh, going between Casa View and uh, the Lakewood neighborhood, mm -hmm. and uh, those are my stomping grounds uh, when I'm not uh, off Spring Valley at the Dallas Express. Um, I, I've personally witnessed in the nicer areas of East Dallas, such as Lakewood, rampant drug use in the alleys, uh, sales, things of that nature. And the police uh, are very helpful, but they are so thinly staffed. Mm -hmm. um, a city our size, it's humongous. You could fit the entire city of Atlanta just in our southern sector. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think a lot of people really think about the resources it takes to police an area the the size we have i think we you know the police chief hasn't said this because i think he's a little too modest and chief garcia has done an excellent job but based on studies i've looked at he needs about four thousand officers sworn officers yeah, i've heard uh, that number yeah at time all times time uh to to properly police this city and so the the police department is facing multiple issues one, the police officers are very experienced. So the ones that are even rookies and get the training in Dallas are trained better than anyone else in the area. That's not to knock our suburbs. Dallas knows what they're doing. Um, they also, those, so those suburbs will come and recruit from the Dallas Police Department because they know those police officers know how to deal with a multitude of crimes. They, they know how to deal with community policing the right way. And uh, in many cases, the suburbs can offer them more money, a uh, little bit better benefits package, including uh, survival benefits and injury benefits. And, and those are important things. And the city council doesn't seem to take this seriously. And I, I think the city manager doesn't really understand the importance. I think the budget reflects that, that there were some good things in the budget that they passed uh, that'll benefit the police department and public safety in general. It wasn't nearly enough. And uh, until the city council 
is punished politically for doing the wrong thing, uh, it's going to be business as usual. And uh, that's a problem because police officers are retiring. You know, some are being urged to not take early retirement to help with the staffing shortages. And, and that's not where we want to be. They just passed the largest budget in the history of Dallas. Okay, so do you believe that there will be some accountability from the constituents to their respective council persons regarding everything that you've just discussed and mentioned? One would hope so. You know, I'll give you a prime example of uh, two situations. One in my Casa View neighborhood with a neighbor, a young Hispanic family that just bought a house next door to us. And they're essentially being priced out of their first home by property taxes. And so we were discussing, you know, thankfully there's some relief coming from the state legislature and uh, Paul Betancourt and the senator and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick uh, helped spearhead that. Uh, and they won that fight and that relief will be coming. So, you know, don't forget to uh, vote in November for that constitutional <laughs> amendment, uh, taxpayers. But uh, they're being priced out of their home uh, to the point where your tax bill in certain situations, even if you own your home outright, is more than a mortgage. Uh, so you, you get into a situation where you're essentially renting your home from the state. So you would think there would be some accountability there, um, but I haven't seen it yet. And I'm telling you, we're heading towards an abyss. People are, people and businesses are leaving Dallas proper for other areas in DFW. And that's often masked by the fact that DFW is growing mm -hmm. at a crazy rate. Um, talked to the comptroller, uh, Glenn Hagar, uh, a couple of months back, and he was saying that uh, when you put your head on the pillow at night, uh, you know, you go to bed, everything's good. When you wake up in the morning, there's going to be a thousand new. Texans who appear, uh, think about that. That's just an astounding number, you know? And, and so when you think about it from a spending perspective, yes, you are, your budget's probably going to have to go up in some areas, but you can also use the city's size as leverage in procurement for services uh, vendors who are just slapping a 30% increase because of inflation uh, onto the city, the city actually can push back on that and they don't have to do business with those you know, types of providers. So I think a lot of what happens is rubber stamping and it's business as usual. Um, like I said, you know, Mendelssohn fought the good fight, Mayor Johnson certainly did, uh, and it fell on deaf ears. And so, um, the, the constituents at some point are going to run out of money to pay the taxes that are being foisted upon them. And I think at that point, we're probably going to see some change at the ballot box. Well, hopefully we can change that with <laughs> all of these different conversations yes. we're having. At least that's my hope. Speaking of accountability, there are 2,500 outstanding warrants. <laughs> if these people were picked up and actually prosecuted, don't you think there would just be a natural progression of crime reduction? 
One, one really important thing to remember is even with all the active warrants, just for Dallas County alone, so between you know the marshals, the, the sheriff and DPD, they have the staffing to just do what they need to do to keep the city as safe as they can. Mm -hmm. The extra resources to go get somebody if it's not a, um, you know, class A felony warrant or something like that, uh, they have to get to it when they have the time. Um, I think the city of Dallas does a really uh, good job of paying attention to most wanted. Dallas County does a poor job. They spend more time worried about people who didn't pay uh, the tolls on the Dallas North Tollway sure. and putting those out as most wanted as opposed to actual criminals. Um, but you should pay your tolls. But that, that, that isn't that isn't you know the the main thing facing our community at the moment. Uh, sorry, NTTA. Um, but yeah, and then sometimes the police do pick them up, and we see this in communities across the country. They're picking people up and arresting them on warrants, and two weeks later they're arresting the same guy. So it's rinse repeat. They're supposed to sit their time out in jail, but we either don't have the space or worse, the prosecutor just decides not to do anything with it and throws them out. And so, you know, to the latter, when people fail to prosecute criminals, it emboldens a criminal to say, wow, okay, I got away with that. Bingo. What can I do now? That's where you get into that social cohesion piece that you mentioned where People become distrustful of the law while they appreciate the police. They don't necessarily think they're gonna come help. And that's because the police don't have the staffing to do it. Everything that you just said makes me think about a conversation that I had with my cousin who is a police officer in Seattle. Like he's said time and time again, yes, we haul people off to the jail mm -hmm. for XYZ crime and they're out. The next time I have to loop back around, they're out. Yeah. There's no space. People aren't being prosecuted. What if we just hire an additional prosecutor? <laughs> the, the, the problem is uh, it isn't the size of the prosecution staff. Mm -hmm. It's their political will to actually do it. You know. Thank you, Jeff. You are so insightful, deliberate, compassionate, and balanced. I love all those sides and pieces to you because I think that's gonna be what makes you and has always made you such an effective leader. I'm very honored and grateful. Really appreciate it, Sarah. The head of the <laughs> Dallas Express. If you're interested in getting involved in the community, come find me. You know, I'm Jay Schnick at DallasExpress.com. Uh, let's set up meetings. Uh, you know, I my calendar's wide open to meet with people who want solutions uh, for Dallas. What I would recommend to anybody uh, who lives in Dallas or your city, just take a drive sometime into neighborhoods you're not familiar with. Get a feel. Go to restaurants you're not familiar with. Have conversations with people. You'd be surprised what you'd learn about what they're interested in and what their values are. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. And I know our viewers and listeners will learn a lot from today's conversation. 
Although today we covered the very important and serious issue of crime, our third segment shows the other side of the Metroplex as Bettina and I go to places throughout Dallas where we feel safe in the city. Today we're diving headfirst into a whirlwind of culture and cuisine right here in the heart of Dallas. Our journey begins at the Crow Museum of Asian Art, where we'll be exploring the stunning exhibits and showcasing these incredible works of art. But our adventure doesn't end there. We'll be featuring the delights at Lover's Seafood and Market. We had a wonderful encounter with none other than the enigmatic Catfish Adams. Now folks, I don't want to give too much away, but let's just say our conversation was nothing short of fantastic. You'll have to stay tuned to see what I'm talking about. Here we are, you guys. It is our second time here, and it's just that beautiful. Um, the art is pretty spectacular here. And Bettina, you actually have been to Japan. I have been to Japan. Highly recommend Japan to anyone who has not been. again today because the last time we were here we had the best time with catfish he called himself catfish but i think his card said catfish adams he in actually some of the footage that we've filmed before we'll bring it up right now explained every little thing on this delicious oyster platter market fresh and it was honestly the time with him that brought us back i mean the food's fantastic everything's great but check out the footage from the last time we were here he's amazing Starting clockwise from the women, fortunes, they're going to be from uh, Nova Scotia, we got two from Can Canadian water, so Nova Scotia, they're smooth and salty, like a dip in the ocean, so you should, it should be like eating a coral reef, in my opinion, snorkeling, chewing on a piece of coral, that's what you're going to get there. Um, so the other yeah, blish points, these guys are going to be from Cape Cod, these are Gonna have a creamy, sweet, pillowy meat, um, and the brine is gonna be a, have a seaweed finish. So those, are gonna, those look like they're gonna be my favorite. I love blush points. Just got these in about 10:30 this morning. I'm gonna go shuck mine. I just squeeze lemon juice, and that's it. But this is a Thai chili uh, uh, mignonette, and this uh, cocktail sauce, and our prepared horseradish. But these guys are so good. Fresh squeezed lemon. Delicious. Thank you. What's your name? Justin Adams, Catfish Adams. <laughs> <laughs> 